everybody. Uh, you get a break from me today because as we've been hyping and, and hyping and hopefully you're aware of this, um, we have a candidate here this weekend for our associate pastor position. We've been searching. This has been a large part of our June and July and August is talking to guys. And at this point, um, poor Mario has endured hours of questions from me. And it has been a joy to get to know Mario and his wife, Jordan. The elders have gotten to know Mario and Jordan. The staff has had a chance to meet with them last night. Families in the youth group got to meet with them and get to know them. And this morning, Mario, if you want to come forward, we get the privilege of all of us as a body uh, hearing from him as he shares the Lord's word with us. So I, I've been excited for this weekend for a while. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to hear what God's laid on your heart first, brother. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. We are... Uh... We have been so blessed by you guys, it's insane. It's like, we are so thankful um, to be here and just how you guys have blessed us and just able, we've been able to meet you guys and all the opportunities to just sit and chat with you. And uh, so just from my wife and me, just so you know, we're very thankful, we're very grateful. And we're very grateful for Sam and his wife as well. Um, before we begin, let's just, let's just pray. Let's just pray. <clears throat> Jesus, uh, thank you so much. Thank you for your grace, for the power of your word, just in the songs that we were singing, just the beauty of your grace, the, um, that we don't deserve it, Jesus, and, and yet you gave all of yourself to those who don't, don't deserve you, us. And so I just pray this morning, Lord, as we look into your word, as we dive into this idea of your grace, God, that you, you would really speak to us, that this, this concept, though, we hear all the time in church, and it's very, it's very, it's talked about a lot, and rightly so. I just pray that it wouldn't just pass over our ears, but that, that you would just do a new thing in our hearts as we learn from you and learn from what you have to say to us this morning. <clears throat> and so thank you, Jesus. We give you this message, we give you the rest of this service, and we say all of this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. So, um, my wife and I, we really love road tripping. So we've, uh, we've gone on a few road trips. She's gone on a few by herself, and I've gone on a few by myself. And in 2019, we, we had probably one of the best road trips that we've ever gone on. We traveled across the United States. We went to Oregon for a wedding. And plane tickets were over $1,000. And I was like, there's no way I'm buying a plane ticket. So we took the opportunity to just travel around the US. And we visited national parks. And it was really great. But one thing you have to know about me in my marriage and when we go on uh, road trips, I always get pulled over, uh, like no matter what, in every road trip. It always happens, no matter how good, of a how good I'm driving. It always happens. So on our way back to Ohio, of course, I see the lights in the back, and I'm like, what am I, what are we doing? And, uh, you know, the cop comes, he has his flashlight, it's nighttime, and he's like, okay, what are you guys drinking? Like, uh, I'm like, no, I, I promise, like, we're not drinking or anything. Actually, there's a grasshopper on the window, and my wife doesn't want it to die, because we're going on the highway, and so we're just like, we're trying to be careful. And he's looking at me like I'm crazy. He's like, <laughs> so he shines the light, and he's like, of course, the grasshopper's still there. I'm like, Yes. And uh, he's, he lets us off the hook. And I'm like, that never happens. And that's amazing. That's great. We didn't get a ticket. $500. I don't want to pay that. And so 
I tell you that for two reasons. One, I wanted you to know a little bit more about my wife and I. I always get pulled over. It's not good. Um, two, this is how we often see God's grace. We often see it as kind of like, uh, like a provision for like occasional mess ups. Like, like we're speeding and you know, God, you know, we get pulled over and we caught, we're caught sinning and grace comes in and lets us off the hook doesn't really let us off the hook because Jesus took it, but that's kind of how we see it. We see it as like this provision uh, for those moments, and that it is. That is exactly what grace is, and that's exactly why Jesus died on the cross, and, and that is the gift of grace, and that's, that's what he offers us, but that's not all that grace is for the believer, and if you're I just want to say this, if you're not a Christian, or if you are investigating Christianity, or if you're curious at all, or if you're doubting your faith, we're really glad you're here because you're going to see today the reality of the Christian life. You're going to see today what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Because sometimes we, as the church, have done a kind of a bad job. And I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about like Big C Church in America. We've kind of done a bad job in like introducing the gospel where, where we don't really talk about things like, hey, you're still going to like really get angry you're still going to struggle with anxiety. You're still going to struggle with things. And Jesus gives, he doesn't just take all that stuff away. And so I'm really glad you're here today because you're going you're gonna to learn what makes Christianity very unique and different from every other worldview that the world, that, that exists in the world. And so today we're going to talk about grace. If you haven't uh, kind of caught that from the music and the big, you know, grace on the title slide. Today we're going to talk about grace, but we're going to talk about um, what it means, not only theologically, like what it means like in relation to God, but what it means for you practically, like in the day-to-day -day hustle, like when you are leaving church and you're working your job and you're doing your thing and you're at home with the kids, what does grace mean for you in that moment when you're not necessarily sinning? What does it mean? Many of us decided to follow Jesus, if you're a Christian, with the hopes that Jesus would, would make our life better in some way or, or give us fulfillment in this life, which he does. He, he gives us fulfillment. But there's also this real tension, if we're honest, of powerlessness against sin. If we're honest with ourselves, some of us, are, you know, we look in, at our hearts and, and we're like, Man, I've been a Christian for 20 years. How is it that I'm still struggling with, with anxiety, with anger, with all these things? And some of us can be discouraged, and there's this big movement of deconstruction of faith in, in the culture. And, and I think a lot of it is because we've pitched this idea that when you come to Jesus, that stuff goes away. And that's not necessarily what the Bible says, though that does happen. So today, whatever you know, is going on for you in relation to this struggle, um, God wants to speak to you today. He wants to, he wants to give you encouragement in this, this struggle and in this weakness. And today we're going to look at a man who gives us a very clear definition of grace and what it means for us and what you can expect, how you can expect it to work out in your life. And excuse my voice, I, uh, I've, I've kind of been having like a little cough. <clears throat> so if you could turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be reading the first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You'll also see it on the screens up here if you don't have your Bible. 
Uh, and as you're turning there, let me just give you some brief context uh, into this passage, because we're, we're quite literally going to be jumping in the middle of a conversation that Paul is having, the Apostle Paul, with a bunch of believers in this city named Corinth. Still go visit it today. It's in Greece. Um, there's a lot of great, I've never been there, but I want to. Uh, and, and Paul established this church in Corinth, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 18. If you go home and you're curious, you can read about it there. Um, and him and his friend Silas established this church, these believers there, they never heard the gospel, and they're flourishing, they love Jesus. And Paul would often write letters to churches that he established. So he was like kind of a missionary, so he would go, he would plant a church here, plant a church there, plant a church there, and he would just kind of write letters as he heard about like controversies and things. And so this particular letter, 2 Corinthians, was written in response to some controversy that was going on in the church. There were some false teachers in Corinth who were literally pitting the people that Paul had converted to Christianity and gave the gospel, pitting them against Paul and saying things like, he's super bold in his letters. He's really bold. He's a, he's a, he's a macho man in his letters. But when he comes here, he's, a, he's timid. He doesn't really speak that boldly. He's not really a good speaker. He's not like the Greeks who are eloquent in their speech. And so Paul is writing this letter to combat those false teachers and in defense of his ministry as an apostle and what God has called him to for this church. And so that is the context that we're going to be diving into this passage today. So let's read it together. Let's read all 10 verses. This is what he says. He says, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ, Paul is being humble, he's talking about himself here because he wants to boast, but he's, he's like, there's nothing to be gained here. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught, to the, to, caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And I know that this man, whether it was in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be telling the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surprisingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me, to be, uh, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take this away. I, I pleaded with the Lord to take this from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect or complete in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. That goes against everything that our culture talks about. <laughs> Paul just threw every philosophy of our culture out the window. He said, when I am weak, that is the best place for me to be. I delight in my weakness. 
When was the last time you delighted in your weakness? <laughs> You're like, God, please, like, take this away from me. I don't want this. That's how I am. Here's the thing. Paul is very aware of his weakness. He's very aware. In the last chapter, chapter 11, we're going to read it on the screen here, he goes into great detail about some of the hardships that he's experienced as a Christian. Look at, uh, starting at verse 24, this is what he says. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow uh, Jews, in danger from Gentiles, which are non-Jewish people, uh, in danger from the city, in danger from the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers. I've, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I've gone without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Yo, Paul, like one shipwreck is enough to make me like, okay, God, I don't know if I could do this. Paul has been through the ringer as a Christian. And so rightly his response, like us, is, Lord, would you please take away this weakness? Because in verse 12, as we read, he says, I was given a thorn. This, this thing in my flesh, which there's big debate among like, theologians and scholars as to what this thorn is. What we do know is it's a physical ailment that Paul had. It could be his eyesight. It could be regret from like, the things he did before he was a Christian. He killed Christians. Uh, it could be uh, a sin problem or whatever. Whatever it is, it was a physical ailment that was constantly uh, just buffering up against Paul always there, always just constantly reminding him that he was weak. Even as a Christian, even as a missionary, even as a pastor, even as an apostle. Paul was desperately weak. We too are like Paul in that we are desperately weak. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, this is something that we all share in common right here, right now. We are all weak. <laughs> We are all desperately weak. We're physically weak. Like, think about it. Our emotions are so fickle. Our bodies die. Our, we're so easily hurt. We can stub our toe and the end of the world has happened. Like, we are so weak. And, and uh, like, a lot of this is a result of Genesis 3, the fall. Like, our bodies are just decaying. They're just weak. They're susceptible to being hurt. Our emotions are the same way. We, we will quite literally contradict what we believe about a person if we, because if we ate this morning or not. We call it hangry, right? Don't lie. Come on. <laughs> I've done it too. And so like we're desperately weak. And we're also mentally weak. The statistics show that during this pandemic that anxiety has risen insanely for people. People who never struggled with anxiety now have been diagnosed with anxiety because of this pandemic. Our minds are fragile. From things that we see and things that we listen to, it can be influenced. Our whole philosophy on life can be changed just simply by watching a series of, uh, you know, a show on Netflix. Honestly, 
We're also spiritually weak, even as Christians. We struggle with sin. No matter how long you've been a Christian, we struggle with sin. We will abandon the things that God has given to us in Christ over a momentary pleasure. Right? We're weak. And I think 2020 for me, um, it was probably one of those moments, and I say 2020 as kind of like summing up the whole, just when I'm like, the world just went. <laughs> it just went downhill, right? It was already going downhill. But for me, it was like, I was realizing again my weakness. And now I'm not like new, like I didn't think that I wasn't weak before that. I, I've been a Christian for, uh, I would say, 10 years now. I got saved when I was 21. Got saved after a suicide attempt and depression, insomnia, and all this uh, demonic oppression and all this stuff. And so I, I knew well that I was weak in the Lord. I knew that I struggled with sin and things that I knew I shouldn't be doing. But in 2020, it was like, you know, at this point, I'm a pastor and I'm leading in a church and I'm doing these things. And then I lose all that. And it's like my identity is shattered. And the reason why is because I was placing my identity in something that would never, ever sustain me as it would in Jesus. And so my reality was breaking before my eyes and I was quite literally doubting my faith in this time. My wife is working 70 hours on a COVID unit and seeing people die every day. And I'm like, God, you gotta do something. We're weak. And then I get a phone call from a friend I haven't listened, heard from in a while. His name is John. And he texted me, he said, hey man, uh, I know we haven't spoken in a while, but God put a scripture on my verse, or God put a scripture on my heart for you. Can you guess which scripture it was? This one, this one. And I went into a deep dive of what God uh, is saying through this passage, and it was just life to me in that moment. And so today we're going to talk about grace, and we're going to unpack this idea of sufficient grace. So we know about the idea of grace, undeserved favor, but what does that grace mean when God says it is sufficient for you? Obviously, in God's mind, it's better check it, than getting the weakness away, from getting the hardship away. In God's mind, it's better for him to provide you with sufficiency in grace than to just take the hardship away. But why? Why is that the case? Why is it better? Well, the Greek word for sufficient, I feel like sufficient doesn't really like, capture exactly what Paul is talking about. The Greek word is archaeo. And there's three meanings to the word that all apply to this particular context that Paul is giving it, or that God is giving to Paul. All three meanings. We're going to unpack these three meanings. The first aspect of this meaning of the word sufficient is this idea of limitless, unfailing power. Limitless, unfailing power. We're going to circle back to this idea where right, we feel powerless in our sin. The reason is because we're trying to fight sin with our strength, right? I have trouble moving a table. What makes me think that I'm going to be able to fight against sin? So I need power that is unfailing. I need an unfailing power. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1 about the power that's provided in Christ. This is what he says, and you'll also see it on the screen here. 
In Ephesians 1, chapter, starting in cha- or, uh, verse one, or chapter 1, starting in verse 18, this is what he says. He says, I pray that your, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Here it is. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and over every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but in eternity. Do not let this pass over your mind right now. Because when I read this, I was like, how many times have I read through the book of Ephesians and this just has passed over my mind? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and validated our faith and seated Jesus at the right hand of the Father far above all rule and authority, not only in this age, but in the age to come, is the same power that empowers you in your weakness right now. Right now. Not, Not in Revelation 21 when Jesus renews all things, but right now where we're broken and we're struggling and we feel like we're breaking and we feel like we're cracking and we feel like we can't do things right and we feel like we can't obey Jesus. That power is at work in you right now. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. And I'm trying to remind myself of that every day because what do we do? We forget. We get bogged down with work and all the other stuff and we're so, again, mentally weak that we just forget something as insane as that. Right? But God has grace on us, right? The second aspect of this meaning of the power of sufficient grace. So the first one, limitless, unfailing power. The, first, the second one is this idea of a defense from danger. The Bible says that sin leads to death. Sin produces death. It breaks things. It's an attack on your soul. And grace provides a defense from that. Now, I'm not sure if you've realized this, but there are two people who the Bible says are have a ministry defending you right now. The names are the Holy Spirit and Jesus, right now, defending you. In John chapter 14, when uh, Jesus' disciples are discouraged, right? Jesus is about to go to the cross, and, and they're like, Jesus, you can't do this. Like, and he says, I have to, because if I don't, then the, the Spirit is not going to come. The Helper is not going to come. And in that passage, he says, I'm going to send you another Helper, another Advocate, who's going to defend you and remind you of things that I've taught you. But he's called the advocate. An advocate defends someone. He acts in defense of someone else. But he says, I will provide another advocate. Talking about the Holy Spirit. So who's the other one? Jesus. Jesus is the other advocate. In 1 John uh, 2, verses 1 through 2, John writes that if anyone sins, Jesus stands before the Father advocating in defense for us. When you sin, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father defending you when you sin. 
A lot of us think, man, God is not going to forgive me this time. There's just no way. I've messed up so many times. You know what Jesus says? He's already speaking before the Father, the blood that he, uh, his blood that he poured out for you and for your sin. He's already, before you even go and ask for forgiveness yourself, Jesus is already defending you, right? Jesus and the Holy Spirit partner together in their defense of the believers as they stumble and fall in their weakness. Now, one of the books that has been instrumental in this time for me, and I recommend all of you go buy it whenever you can, it's called Gentle and Lowly by a guy named Dane Ortland. This book has become one of the most precious books I have ever read in my entire life. And I'm going to read a quote that he talks about Jesus, <clears throat> this idea, his ministry of advocating for us. This is what he says. He says, when you sin... Remember your legal standing before God, talking about you being justified before God, not by your works, but by the blood of Jesus, right? Your legal standing before God because of the work of Christ, but also remember your advocate before God because of the heart of Christ. He rises up and defends your cause based on the merits of his own suffering and death. Your salvation is not merely a matter of a saving formula. It's not this uh, mathematical equation, but of a saving person. When you sin, his strength of resolve rises all the higher. When his brothers and sisters fail and stumble, he advocates on their behalf because it is who he is. He cannot bear to leave us to fend for ourselves. Think about that. Think about the sin you struggle with right now. Think about the struggle you have with anxiety or with worry or with anger or whatever it is, lust. Jesus' desire to defend you rises higher than that reality that you are struggling with. It rises higher than that. And that is what's provided in grace the defensive nature of grace is more than just letting you off the hook it's not like the cop letting you off the hook this time it is christ literally declaring to the father and to you the finished work that he purchased on the cross every time that you sin even when you don't know that you're sinning even when you don't recognize it and even before you do it this is a constant ministry of jesus and the holy spirit Limitless, unfailing power. Defense against danger. And the last aspect of this word of sufficient is ultimate satisfaction. Ultimate satisfaction. When we are weak, and maybe you guys can relate with me on this, right? When we're weak, what do we do? What are we susceptible to? We have a temptation and weakness to settle for things that do not satisfy us. We tend to try to mend our weaknesses or our things that we're struggling with with things that we think we've been told or we've built a habit of going to to try to deal with this, this thing, this weakness, right? My wife and I were in Oregon a different time more recently, and we had the opportunity of going to Na Crater Lake National Park. It was insane. It was beautiful. But it was also like 
98 degrees outside. And so it was like so hot and we were like, we'd never seen it. So we're like, we need to go around the whole park. We need to like do everything. We need to go to the highest paved peak. And we did, and it was beautiful. And then when we got back to the car, I was dying of thirst. I was like, oh my gosh, like we're so thirsty. And we went to the gas station and we went to go get some things to drink to quench our thirst. And can you guess what I bought from the gas station to quench my thirst? Can anyone just throw a word out? Guess. Coffee? Close. It, it counts. I got a Coke. A Coke to quench my thirst. What does Coke do when you're thirsty and you drink a Coke? You want another Coke. <laughs> you want another one. You want another one. But you're not quenching your thirst. Your body wants water. It wants H2O and you're giving it sugar and Coke, right? This is what we do in our weakness. We settle for the Coke because it tastes good or because the commercial like, made it seem so satisfying. Like they're out in the summer and they're drinking and they're like, oh my gosh, like, it's so beautiful. It's lovely, it's satisfying. And we settle for that instead of just drinking the water. My wife is so good at drinking water and I'm like, Lord, please give me that gift of drinking water because that's what I need, right? That's what we do in weakness. So in weakness, that's the temptation that leads us for a need of defense because then we start to sin, right? We start, we enter into sin, right? And we, and we feel powerless against the sin because what are we doing? We're not relying on our own strength. We're relying, uh, we're, we're not relying on God's strength. We're relying on our own strength. And if you could, so you can see kind of this chain cycle that's going on right now. Jesus talks about um, this thing about living water in John chapter four. He meets a woman at the well and this woman, she has a lot going on in her life. And she reveals, or he reveals to her that he is the Messiah. And he says something very interesting. He says, if you knew the water that I give, you would not be thirsty again. Now, he's not talking about physical water. He's, he's telling her, if you knew the water, the satisfaction that I give, you would not want again you would not desire the things that you go to to try to satisfy what's going on in your life. The psalmist also says this in the well-known song. We're gonna, I'm going to quiz you, okay? Psalm 23, what? The Lord is my, and I shall not want. Have you ever thought about that? I shall not want. The psalmist is so satisfied in the Lord being his shepherd that he doesn't want anything else. Doesn't want anything else. And that's what grace provides. It provides ultimate satisfaction. Not just a momentary satisfaction, but an ultimate satisfaction. Most of our wandering, most of our sin, most of our rebellion can actually be boiled down to one simple fact. And that is, if we're honest, that we're not truly satisfied with the Lord. That's what I found in myself. There are times where I go to things and I'm like, Lord, it's because I'm not, I'm not leaning into your satisfaction. So limitless, unfailing power, defense from danger, and ultimate satisfaction. These are three things that arise, three, things that, uh, three needs that need to be met when we are weak. And grace, sufficient grace, provides all of that for our needs. 
And so my challenge for you today, this morning, is to do this. Take a step back and look at your life. This is what I did. Take a step back, look at your life, and ask yourself this question. Am I relying on my human effort, ability, talent to live my life for Jesus, or am I relying on the sufficiency of God's grace? Am I relying on myself or am I relying on Jesus? It's a very simple question. Are you weary and tired of failing again and again and again? Are you angry? Maybe at yourself, right? This is, this is like for me, I get angry at myself. I'm like, God, I don't, I, like you should have never saved me because it's not working. That's, that's what goes on in my mind. And I get discouraged. I'm like, God, like, I, I don't know if this is going to work out. I don't know if I can make it to the end. And, and maybe that's you. Maybe you're discouraged because you desire a persevering faith, but you feel like you're just not there yet. Be encouraged. God didn't just provide his grace for you at the cross when you came to him. He didn't only provide his grace for you in the moment when you sinned against him. But even when you're waiting and you're weak and you're stumbling and you're struggling, even before you sin, even, even if you're just laying in bed and you're weak and you're tired, and you're just like, God, I am struggling right now. His grace is at work in you in that moment, in the pain, in the weakness. God's grace is holding you and keeping you in Christ. It is keeping you in Christ, not you. Jesus is. His grace is indeed powerful enough to give us the ability to utter the same words that Paul uttered in this passage. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more in my weakness. I will boast. I will talk about my weakness. I will I will declare that is a reality in my life, and the only reason that I am where I am in Christ today is because of the grace of Jesus. And so I take pleasure in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. And get this, in some translations it says calamities. For the sake of Christ, for when I am weak, when we are weak, when you are weak, you are strong because it is not your strength, right? So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this grace. This grace that you have given in Jesus is unlike any other thing that exists in all of eternity. It cannot be compared to. Your grace never stops working. It doesn't activate when we confess our sin. It doesn't start when we are forgiven. It is working before all of that happens. It is working in our weaknesses when we are struggling, when we, we feel 
like we just can't go another day. Your grace is again and again and again providing power to your people. Not just a bit of it, but all of it. All of the power of God in us by the Holy Spirit to fight against weakness. Not necessarily to pray that it would go away. Yes, we can pray that. Yes, sometimes Jesus will do that. But will provide strength to come up against it, to persevere through it. And you provide your defense. You provide you yourself, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and, and Jesus advocating for us, your people. And you give us the utmost satisfaction in your Son. God, would you forgive us for settling for the coke? Forgive us for settling for things that do not satisfy. Give us the ability to lean into your word and into your grace that provides all of what we need. Your grace is indeed enough for me, for us, as we sung. So Jesus, I pray for everyone here that you would empower them with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead as they go out into their weeks, into their schools, into whatever they have to do today. Jesus, that you would provide them with power, that you would refresh them in your spirit, that you would give them the reality of, to be able to notice and see you advocating for them that they would not hesitate to come to you in confession and repentance because you are already defending them before they do that. And would you satisfy them with the riches of heaven before we even get there? Thank you, Jesus, for all that you provide for us in your grace. Let us, let us rest in that, Jesus. And so we say all of this in your mighty name. Amen.